Hey everybody, what's going on? We're here. This might be our most depressing podcast episode yet of The Gods Will Not Save You, The Wire Revisited. I'm Willie. Hey, my name's Jakob. And yes, Willie, I was thinking the same thing. Like, why are we doing this again? Yeah. (laughs) But... Hey, welcome back to, uh, you know, the podcast uh, where the co-hosts do a deep read into the most depressing show, The Wire. <laughs> One of the most. Anchor.fm slash the gods not save you slash support if anybody wants to uh, ease our pain. Well, ease uh, people in New York's pain because uh, we're donating all our profits to uh, Michael K. Williams' nonprofit. Um, so with all that (laughs) out of the way, let's get into season four, episode 12 of The Wire, That's Got His Own. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, the title, (laughs) the title, uh, That's Got His Own is taken from a, a Billy Holiday song called God Bless the Child. Um, it's a really terrific song that you all should listen to, but it's pretty beautiful the way like all these things kind of connect. There's like an episode earlier where uh bunny was like trying to play some Billy holiday for the kids as he is taking them to Ruth's Chris. This basic, basically the, uh, backstory behind this song is that, uh, it was inspired by Billy holiday arguing with her mom uh, about like money and responsibility and how a uh, kid should be self-reliant. So she's saying, God bless the child that's got his own. I think it's like, you know, this kid's got their own, like they don't need parental authority figures in their life to make way for themselves. And it's like, maybe some of the kids uh, in this scenario have that, but they also desperately need uh, father figure or mother figure in their lives uh, in order to uh, not just live, not just to survive, but to live. You know what I mean? Yeah, well said, man. Um, Pretty fucking sad, man. It definitely, yeah, definitely a downer. <laughs> uh, so yeah, between this episode and maybe like the episode where Wallace gets killed, it's like a war of the downers. <laughs> definitely, good one. Uh, so yeah, with that said, you just want to talk about the, uh, kids and all their like journeys here and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, starts off with Michael on the run. Yeah. Chris and Snoop, they do kind of like a bait and switch with us. The storytellers that is George Pelicanos, the writer and Joe Chappelle, the director, uh, looks like he's running for his life before we find out that they're just doing like a little like a practice round of how to like escape from killers and shoot them back and like where to shoot them to avoid uh, any bulletproof vests and whatnot. So, you know, Michael's learning a lot uh, from Chris and Snoop and it seems like uh, all the concerns that uh, Marlo and Chris had about him standing tall with a snitch boy just completely go by the wayside at this point, apparently. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't really think about it too much. Like, oh yeah. Uh, you know, but then that's brilliant to open up with this. Like you said, the bait and switch, because it's like, oh man, Chris is, uh, 
exacting yeah. revenge. Yeah. <laughs> so you're rooting for Mike. Does this remind you of all at all of our uh, foray into uh, paintballing back in the day? Oh, shit. <laughs> A little different <laughs> circumstances, but. I feel like we were in more danger when we were doing No, no. <laughs> Why? Because you decided to just like shoot it at a random like apartment building. That was a complete accident. Uh, oh, yeah. I, no, it really was. I had, you know, I was not a good shot. I may or may not have hit someone's automobile and, <laughs> you know, prompted their wrath. Like I, I heard a lot of yelling that was... <laughs> <laughs> unintelligible but you know yeah, yeah that was uh, okay yeah. it was not as da- it's not as dangerous as anything involving chris and stamp no yeah but, a lot lower stakes but still not probably the best thing to give a bunch of kids like uh, like teenagers but yeah hey man still uh yeah a little similarity to uh the opening of generation kill yeah, definitely. Uh, check out our podcast with Rewired. Um, yeah. Or, you know, they had us on, so. Exactly, yeah. Kind of like the opening shot of the series, miniseries. Yeah. Where you think people are getting shot for real, but it's all, you know, just soldiers training for their, you know, respective uh, environment, war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all just a war game, and it's... uh. Again, they're really hammering home this theme of like education where they're like teaching yeah. Michael, you know, when you're at a distance, shoot low because they might have a bulletproof vest and then you shoot them in the head. And so they're teaching him valuable lessons. This, uh, this, uh, <laughs> this education that he's getting here, uh, he seems to take a lot more of a liking to, uh, as you know, Opposed to uh, what he, the education he's getting with Prez, do we kind of just want to move on to yeah, talk yeah. about like all the other kid stuff? Yeah, let's do it, man. That's like, got his own. Uh, let's just rip that band aid off, man. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Naaman's uh, changing up his hairstyle, so I guess his mom mom didn't force him to cut his hair. Yeah, he's just getting away. He's finding a way around uh, doing what his mom says as like a way to evade the cops. Uh, or the, like, you know, he's got his own, uh, that's got his own hairstyle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's in the middle of doing that when Kennard comes up to him and lets him know that the package has been stolen uh, and that they're going to be in a lot of deep shit. And uh, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Like, <laughs> But George Pelicanos was talking about when he wrote this episode, he's like, oh, I had no idea that the character I was writing for was this young. So I might not have like put him through so much hell yeah. and like made him do all this if I had known that he was just a little kid. He was that young, right? He doesn't yeah. have some like developmental thing going no, on. Yeah, he's, he's literally eight, like nine years old. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Kennard is just, I mean, he's, you know, in a way, Naaman might feel that he's being helped by him. Like, oh, this is an easy, easy out. But then does he not think that uh, Mike's going to press me about this? Like, yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, the package is gone. Uh, 
Like, does he think there's going to be no consequence or this is, I mean, he's in such a tough position that, yeah, sadly, this is his way of thinking that, oh, everything will go away. I mean, my package got stolen, then my mom's just going to forgive me and my yeah. friends will all accept me and I could just be a class clown. <laughs> yeah, he's in a tough position where he's always feels like he has to act like he's tough, but doesn't consider the consequences of what it means to always be tough. Yeah, because Mike pretty much states the obvious that if the door isn't off its hinges, then no one's kicked in, you know, yeah. kicked in to find, kicked it in to find the stash. My whole thing is, how does Mike not actually just kill Kennard with <laughs> as hard as he hits? Yeah, you it, mean at that point where, so like, yeah, Naaman and Mike have like a little discussion and Mike is like, okay, well, let's go take care of the problem. And they go, uh talk to Kennard to confront him, like, how can the stash be missing, blah, blah, blah. And as you said, Mike does a beat down on him. Yeah. I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm just like, Mike, even Cuddy, yeah. experienced boxers, like, dude, you hit hard. And this kid's head is like, his fist <laughs> is half the size of his head. And then he, like, drops him on the concrete. Yeah. Um. So I'm, I'm amazed at the chin of, I mean, it just sounds like it's all, like, I mean, child abuse even though mike's still a kid yeah <laughs> but damn i mean you know mike's changed and this proves it even you know it's it's just the stakes keep raising being raised it's pretty brutal uh it almost kind of like calls back to when uh chris uh beats the yeah. shit out of and kills uh michael's stepdad like he almost like beats him with the same kind of vigor and rhythm and all that like it's just like Bam, like punch after punch after punch after punch and it's almost like rhythm. wow you're you are a true artist <laughs> this beating oh man the rhythm the flow of it just ah uh, uh, we're it's depressing uh, yeah but, <laughs> why did you pretend that like we're not gonna be like this <laughs> kid's beaten to death and then this guy gets like killed but it's almost like michael so michael is like all right naaman well, he says, like, get your package, but, like, it's almost kind of like he's also saying, like, finish, uh, yeah, you know, finish what I started with Kennard. Like, you do what Chris did to my stepdad and, like, bash his head, like, you know, stomp him to death. That's kind of dark to think about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're a creative guy, so the depression must be worse if you're that, like you know, intuitive when it comes to scenario. <laughs> Cause I don't know if I thought of it like uh, that deeply. Yeah. I mean, I don't think name is not going to do anything right there. So. Yeah. He can't even like fight back against his mom. Who's slapping the shit out of him for, <laughs> yeah, for not standing tall against Kennard. <laughs> um, and then he like invites, uh, almost another beating from his friend. Yeah. Like, is he a, uh, what do you say? Sometimes? for punishment? Yeah, you said about, <laughs> I'm not naming names, but. So you said something here about like how uh, Delanda seals the deal as uh, being like the worst parent in the show. Well, I just meant mom, but like. Yeah, but like she did like provide him with Nikes since he's yeah. been in diapers. Like she's Jordans. always gotten, she's always gotten him nice clothes and video games and stuff. Like, yeah. What more could you ask of a mom? Like, really? Like. That's true. He can't, he can't go to jail to like, or go to baby booking to like show some gratitude. 
Yeah, I mean, that is true. <laughs> I mean, uh, Brianna only was able to uh, get a... Some of those, uh, you know, fish cakes with the mustard or whatever. I mean, yeah, like he didn't have nice shoes on, really. I mean, <laughs> that she bought him, yeah, only what he grinded for, yeah, yeah. Name and, and then he, like I said, he's as well, Willie said he's a glutton for punch. <laughs> I don't, th- I mean, he knew what was going to happen, but it's almost like he had to kind of like take that leap of faith like is this uh similar to the trust exercise in a more extreme way where he's like (laughs) he's like i know i'm gonna get whooped but i need to just cross that threshold (laughs) and get it over with so i can just come clean you know to anyone and not like worry about oh like thinking that you're a snitch or like oh i'm telling too much to cuddy i'm being a little bitch here you know that can't hurt worse than what he's already experienced with getting beaten by his mom and one of his now like former best friends yeah michael because he yeah he shows up to the boxing gym and says some very like mean derogatory things to dookie in an effort to like kind of like impress michael or something he's fronting like a lot and this is like like we've been seeing it happen like all along like peeks into his interior life that he's really just like putting up a front but this is finally the thing that breaks him down and makes him cry sob really to Cuddy and Carver and let them know like the awful predicament he's really in that uh yeah he doesn't have a home he can go to and his best friend is a psycho killer now and yeah. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't killed yet. Right. I guess but he's not. like in the next days, months or year, he's going to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the last episode of this season is like five years out. From no. This episode. <laughs> no, they say it in this episode somewhere. There's a timestamp where like, I mean, obviously with the body and the vacant, it's like yeah. pretty recently. We're just, you know, we're, of course, making inside jokes about the boys of summer's inside jokes on a brilliant commentary. That's right. But, yeah, I mean, more about this scene. It's interesting, like, how introspective Naaman can be. Right. And, like, how amazed I am, really, that his kid, you know, he was never willing to really, like, not follow peer pressure, but I mean, he could have easily done something like worse as a cry for help, like right. actually hurt someone, which brings back the glutton for punishment theory, you know? Yeah. He just wanted to like get hurt himself to like cry out instead of just like killing Canard or doing something even worse. Yeah. Or, I mean, he is he, like, it's a good thing that he did there because there's like an actual, like real father figure around for him to like bounce his grief off of. And then, like, when, you know, throw. <laughs> Rhythmically. <laughs> and then throw Carver and Bunny into the mix. Forget about it. He's got a trio of, like, great. Uh, he's got a trio yeah. of angels watching over him, basically. Oh, yeah. Carver will have your back. We'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> sad to say. Yeah. Um, I but, mean, it's, I guess, you know, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Even though, yeah. Even though if we're going to start talking about Mike Cuddy is all like, I mean, is he being a little 
I mean, selfish, like bragged, like, oh man, like I could have got to Mike, but you know, <laughs> like really dude, like this yeah. is it. Oh, I want to talk with you about your theory. It's going to be fun. Yeah. But there's some, there's some really great acting by Julito McCollum in this episode. Joe Chappelle in the yeah. commentary for this episode was talking about how, um, I hate to say the word, but brave Julito was being like, oh. he was like a 14 year old kid at the time playing a character that, uh, you know, would not be looked upon favorably like in like a street setting or whatnot. Um, and he just like, you know, Robert Chu obviously coached him to great lengths to get him to like the performance level that he's at by this point in this series. Um, and he recognizes like fully like, Oh, I'm playing a character. And even like after I finish this and you know, people are going to stop me in the street and call me a little bitch and a snitch and whatnot. Like I have to realize like, this is my job. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, yeah. very uh, admirable. And like, it's not like Halita McCollum's like out somewhere, you know, in upstate New York. I mean, he's like, lives in you know brooklyn like he grew up in the projects right yeah so he's in that environment so yeah you know and the way the fans blur reality in the show i mean we're <laughs> look at us simulation <laughs> stuff yeah there it's hard to uh you know for people in a show so realistic that they're always thinking like dookie uh, you know like jermaine crawford bathes you know <laughs> <laughs> he's not just smelling yeah. That's what they were saying. It's yeah. pretty pretty amazing what they're yeah. able to do. It's like, man, at that age, I just wanted to wear a hoodie to school every day and like no one to look at me, you know? Yeah, nice. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so funny. Like the example that I always think of is that guy who played uh, Joffrey in Game of Thrones said that he had to quit acting after his run on the show because like so many people would come up to him in the street and like want to fight him because of the character he played <laughs> it's just like are you sure it's not just like a football match in britain like taking place that day or like a pub? <laughs> like i feel like they're oh you want to fight me isn't it like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like just drunks yeah okay, i don't know sorry i, I think i killed that <laughs> i think he had some real problems um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, before we get onto the other boys, I just want to bring up like this one, uh, thing real quick where, uh, uh, that so, is one of the other boys stories. No, 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 but sorry. So when bunny comes to the police station to like yeah. intervene in the whole naming situation, there's this whole thing where he kind of like reaches out to like grab his arm or something like kind of like in an affectionate like fatherly way like hey son like i'm gonna try and take care of you and joe Chappelle also talked about this a lot in the commentary that there's a moment for each of the boys with a potential father figure where they're like reaching out and trying to like grab their arms and like reassure them or like teach them a lesson or something and it works to varying degrees of success as in this seems like it's the only one uh example where the father figures is a gesture of affection is successful yeah. um 
it's an interesting uh it's an interesting point you made light of there well let's talk about uh randy or you yeah let's 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 just just get that over with yeah let's rip that let's rip that band-aid off that all right let's (laughs) (laughs) okay we're gonna get on with it uh randy is stuck at home because he's hung over no (laughs) let's talk about randy being trapped uh at the row house with miss anna because the bullies are the young you know marlo's uh the hoppers or henchmen whatever you want to call them (laughs) they beat him up really bad he uh, is like on home study. The cops are looking out for him, which is, you know, exactly what <laughs> what you want in this situation. Nothing's going to get like worse. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it's a really bad situation yeah. for him. And he might have to even move schools, which yeah. is that crazy me to think that like, oh, no, we'll give it another shot. Like, we like it there, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've I've heard, I mean, obviously, how much more can i say how different like our upbringing like obviously nothing compared but i feel like people (laughs) move for such more you know such more minor of an issue but then again limited resources miss anna like can't just be going across the city if like it's around the corner right you know yeah you got to do anything you can't like or they're trying to think of ways that he could escape the cabal of snitch haters (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ dude Where do you come up (laughs) I mean we Yeah that's a good point because You know when we were In high school It was a little you know a little bit rough and tumble And and the middle school We went to like we knew people That transferred to uh, Schools in different Cities or different districts for Far less than this so or, I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but other bad stuff too. I mean, yeah. I could want, like, I see why, you know, that's what yeah, I'm if saying. You, like, if you get jumped, yes, yeah. probably. Anyway, understand a parental uh, instinct kicking in there. Um, but so <laughs> you want to do right by your kid, but you know, gotta be realistic. And look, I mean, we've seen some pretty positive things happening. Outside of the whole debacle with Randy and everyone's incompetence, you know, Perez has got a handle on things and uh, maybe that, you know, he wants to stay there. So Carver, Carver is just now getting a handle on things, but it's like too late already because his name's like already out there in the world and everybody wants to kill him. He kind of also has some more self-awareness because he knows that like Randy hates him already. Yeah. And... You know, maybe old ACAB Prez is like, <laughs> you know, he he already has stopped by and just like me mugged the cop car sitting down the street, like, like, you're not helping, man. And uh, Carver doesn't even want to go inside to. Yeah. But he wait. can't resist. Yeah, he can't resist. Cooking. Yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I was for some reason thinking he he left but that's a really flimsy argument like he has more awareness so he he could tell the boy who's been beaten and knows he's going to be let down doesn't want him over for breakfast 
but he does it anyways. There you go. Great awareness, Carver. That's well, stupid. his mom is like, come on, you have time for a plate. Like, yeah, yeah you, I think like plate is the, uh, that's like the, the override. It's just, it's not like, would you like to come in for some tea? It's like, come on, a plate? It's yeah. like, oh, uh, yeah, you've had enough Uds crab chips for the day to sustain. You need yeah. some real sustenance. What else? What well, else can we say about Randy here? Like, <laughs> I mean, you put it rather like, uh, yeah, like in your notes, you were kind of trying to lighten the mood of like how comically incompetent the cops are that the uh, like Marlo's henchmen call the cops and report a beating of a cop on Pensy and Gold. <laughs> then, yeah. like, instantly like that, the cops are just like, well, fuck Randy. I know. <laughs> Get the hell out of yeah. there. They're like, uh, no, the cop's getting beat up. Oh, someone's shooting now. Not like, oh, man, this cop just got shot. And still, it's like, okay. I mean, I guess playing devil's advocate, they can't know that it's a lie, or they don't yeah. have the technology. But... But why yeah. would it be, why would those cops that are assigned to protect Randy be yeah. the ones, resp- is it just because the location is that? Apparently, I mean, we know, you know, this is not West Baltimore, really, <laughs> but it is, so Pensing, I mean, and Signal 13, whatever, means shots fired or something, or officer needs help, so that's like, yeah, that's their people at the end of the day. What are you going to do, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, that really lightened the mood. <laughs> All right, well, just the way you put it was no, kind of comical to me. I know. Yeah. I thought, like, you got to be a little edgy, a little, like, evil, savage. Then Willie's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, no little slow, little late around here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then Marlo's henchman. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have clips we can't do any clips but 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 i found this somewhere in some back catalog on some audacity page yeah bro this is amazing yeah yeah uh, let's make a podcast of the best show ever but never include an actual clip just clips of random ass noises <laughs> <laughs> yeah that cut us off mid-sentence <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway so yeah marlo's henchmen come in and throw some molotov cocktails into the row house and give anna jeffrey some third degree burns uh carver or, yeah carver ends up going to visit randy at the hospital and here again he tries to like reach out and grab his arm and reassure him like everything's gonna be okay i'm gonna look out for you but randy has already been through the group home system and all that knows what bullshit it is and is uh skeptical of uh carver's words of comfort and uh he leaves it like as Carver's like walking away from him, he keeps shouting out like, Oh, you're going to look out for me. You're going to look out for me, huh? Pretty devastating stuff. Kind of like echoing like the, uh, thing in the first season where D'Angelo just keeps repeating where is Wallace, like the repetition really drives home the depressing nature of this whole drug game that, uh, ruins people's lives. Even a little, kids uh, middle schoolers yeah this pretty much seals uh 
old Randy's fate here. And at least this is something that he said people uh, remember him for, not just being a snitch, yeah. allegedly. <laughs> so, I mean, even though it's super depressing, it is a very, you know, iconic moment, like yeah. a great achievement for him. Good, you know, good stuff there. Makes yeah. sense. He was not like he was being mentioned in like best newcomer, you know, type yeah. uh, stuff. Maestro Harrell. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I read two different things that noted like, oh, at the end here, when uh, Carver is walking through the hallway away from Randy, like he's walking through like a Stanley Kubrick like hallway with the blah, 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 the space. And I was like, oh, Paths of Glory. Big influence on The Wire, another Stanley Kubrick movie. Visual callback a little bit. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's hot, what, everybody. <laughs> what's the uh, color uh, ratios and the uh, sticks? The uh, color palette? Yeah. Aspect ratio, film, uh, yeah. 35 millimeter ADR. Yeah, we know our film terminology on this podcast. Man, stop um, playing. You know you do. <laughs> Um, okay, so what else do you want to talk about? Like, uh, Dookie and Mike are kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, they've paired up uh, kind of like unlikely duo, almost like the strongest and weakest of the group. Well, depends what you want to determine to be weak, because like, yeah. you know, Naaman's pretty, like, yeah. in a lot of ways. But I mean, Mike, just, Michael could be considered weak because he's taking the easy path that nah yeah that's <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> beating people savagely at 14 is like that's weakness <laughs> we run from a fight <laughs> i mean it's mental weakness no yeah. um my <laughs> has engineered the death of his abuser yeah. he's a hero to the right wing left wing and everyone in between no, but yeah, Dookie is He's basically the uh, what's that guy? The uh, the kid who shot people in Wisconsin. Oh, fuck, uh, Jacob. No, is it Jacob? No, you're talking about at the like Black Lives Matter protests, yeah, the, the, the like Assault rioting rifle. and stuff, yeah, <clears throat> not just you know, rioting protests. Maybe well, I don't even like, want to know his name. Maybe I don't want to speak his name on this podcast and give him any more uh Yeah, anyways, people were like, yeah, dude, like he killed, like the dude he kills like a child molester. So yeah. more MAGA wire fans, Michael? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, I don't want to compare them. But yeah, Dookie, he's getting promoted to the ninth grade and he has a conversation with Prez about how sad he's going to feel that he can't be in the class anymore. Prez then again, like, you know, he grabs his arm and lets him know he can come back here anytime. He'll wash his clothes for him or whatever and he could play on his computer. But like Dookie walks out of the class and gives like one final look back. Super sad, like he knows. <laughs> <laughs> he's not coming back here and that like 
his uh, educational life is pretty much over for him. And uh, he's uh, going to be more vulnerable to like uh, Michael's manipulative uh, tactics or whatever. Like, you know, he's more prone to fall in with like Michael's misdeeds. And um, I mean, the fact that like as they're walking home, he finds out that his family has gotten evicted again. Yeah, I just I feel like that plays a huge role in it, too. Not like, oh, I'm going to get in with Mike and he's going to like manipulate me. He's literally like, dude, yeah, I'm about to go. Yeah, I'm about to be like, you know, a mass killer, but you're still my friend and you don't even have, you know, a place to go. So, yeah, okay. I guess if you want to paint it as like Mike's plan, like to manipulate. No, I don't mean Mike's plan. (laughs) Mike's plan. I don't mean it like that. Sometimes Dookie's dirty. Sometimes he's soap. Sorry. (laughs) No, I know what you mean, but like, okay. Yeah. It's all really sad. Yeah. I mean, he's being failed on so many levels by so many institutions, you know, Dookie's fate is pretty much sealed once he sees all the stuff that's been left out in front of his house. His family's been evicted. His family is not even going to like... Yeah, they don't even tell him. They're just like, <laughs> all right, he's homeless now. Yeah, they don't even reach out to him. I mean, not that... I don't know how... Like, I don't think his family's up on like email. Like, hey, uh, we know you are working on a computer now at your middle school class. Let's, uh, yeah. let's send you an email. What about uh, Mike here? I mean, yeah. uh, we pretty much talked a little bit about obviously where he's headed and he's becoming more and more ruthless. Yeah. Mm, but I just wanted to talk about if it's cool to jump that far ahead to basically where Cuddy, as I mentioned, is like, oh man, like if I could have done better, Mike wouldn't have like broke this like bad, you know? Yeah. Man, that's on me. It's like, dude, is Mike that skillful at maintaining, you know, a low profile as to where someone who knew him pretty well for probably months, years even, no, uh, wasn't able, wasn't able to read him at all. But I don't know if that holds up because Mike was always like, eh, cutty. You know, he said some pretty uh, big words about him. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he ends up getting shot by Monk for not for not stepping off. You know, this isn't the fruit he's dealing with. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like uh, it's pretty tragic in the moment where Cuddy is trying to, like, get Michael to come back into the gym. Again, it's a moment where he's like trying to reach out and like, grab his arm like a father. But Michael is so far gone at this point. Yeah. Monk shoots him twice in the leg. Uh, temporarily handicapping him and Michael like has like a moment of humanity where he's like, I'll wait for you till the ambulance comes. But then Cuddy's like, no, you go with your people. And I feel like this could have been an opportunity where like Cuddy could have like actually reached out to him and like made a difference, but they were just both so stubborn. Like, I don't know. This is crazy. I can't, I don't see that at all. Like that never crossed my mind. Oh really? I'm like, uh, I don't how I think Mike is just uh he's like a polite oh, killer. You know, this guy was cool to me, but now I'm so sh- like confident in my new role as like a muscle or shooter for these new guys that 
like it doesn't really matter to them or whatever that I stop and say like, Hey, you know, whatever, you know, right. He had my back at one point. I'll try to just do the right thing for this moment and then be on my way. Like what is, you know, what could Cuddy do to him? He's not going to snitch on him or right. monk. He'll just, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't get sent to a vacant over this. Like, what yes, you yes, shot yes. some guy like who's connected to politicians and like cops and everything. <laughs> uh, like how do we know this guy? Like if anyone could have been a risk, like forget little Kevin Cuddy, like, you know, he's so plugged in at this point that, you know, he could have really hurt them if he decided to testify. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you never know, but maybe it's like, he's gotten, you know, a pass in some ways, even though he worked for Avon, who was Marlo's rival. But like he's like we pointed out last episode, there were certain things where it's like maybe the uh, communication's not all like that succinct. Whereas Chris is like, "What? My guy like stood tall at the school, you know? Like nothing got back to Chris that quickly." <laughs> yes, <laughs> so how do we know that like yeah. Monk would even fess up? He'd probably be like. You know, that's something maybe he would get in trouble for, like recklessly shooting a guy who's like now a citizen right. on a street corner, like in front of people. By the way, yeah. what is that a uh, Korean shop owner or is that Korean? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't want to be like racist. When I like when I watch it with the closed caption, they just said native speaks in native language. <laughs> so I mean, there are like uh, predominantly Korean spots, but yeah. they call them like a racial slur. Just like regardless, yeah. like they call him a Chinese slur Ugh. or, yeah. But it's just tragic. It's I mean, tragic regardless. You were there too. You heard it. It's, <laughs> it's tragic regardless because we all know that if Michael had brought the issue of his stepdad to Cuddy in the first place, then this all could have been dealt with in a much more uh, agreeable way. And we see, uh, like, the tragedy of this playing out uh, rather violently. It's fucking Pelicanos, man. He's just twisting the dagger. He's stabbing us and twisting the dagger in our hearts. Rhythmically. (laughs) Um, Okay. Are we done with the school kids stuff? Yeah, we're done, man. You want to move on to like some more political things? Uh, yeah, cop. I mean, we're almost done. Man. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Uh, let's talk. Yeah, so Lester has found the uh, the tomb of Lex. By the way, how do they know so quickly that it's Lex? Was it days, months? No, <laughs> he's like that. You know, I'm jumping ahead, but. That, that back there was Lex. I'm like, all, all we hear about is how messed up this department is and the testing and the lab and losing samples and all this stuff. Yet they're like able to determine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's, it's Lester though. He's, yeah, he's in like, kind yeah. of a class of his own because he, ne- yeah. he recognized the difference in the nail. He recognized that the nail was different from the screw. <laughs> on the board of the vacant so he's like oh yeah there must be a bunch of uh dead bodies in here but landsman is still like uh 
he's still in that mode where he's like, oh yeah, like I, I'm gonna like get out ahead of this and make sure that we're juking the stats before any of my superiors know about this. Like I've been burned too many times. Like there's no way we can like open up these vacancies. Like you know we we can't uh, put the put these statistics on the new mayor. But yeah, he's at a loss when it comes to having to do like more than he's comfortable with. Like that will take him away from his magazines and sandwiches and stuff. <laughs> exactly. Like what does real landsman have to think of this character in some ways? Like, damn, dude, like he's, yeah. I know he was upset. He's like, man, they made me this big fat guy. And I was like, never slimmer, you know, than I was at like certain points. Yeah. But he's <laughs> also like, all right, you know, natural police. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> but um it's pretty like interesting so like lester is like put on uh he's put on timeout of uh opening up the vacants and finding the tomb yeah. <laughs> um and he's like kind of commiserating with bunk and mcnulty about like not being able to go in there but bunk is like uh kind of busy you know doing his thing when he's at the bar talking about pussy and stuff like that but um they (laughs) (laughs) but they do a thing here where they like they they do a bet or like they wager like if they go into the vacants right now will they find a body and this is like kind of mirroring uh earlier scene with when the boys like all went into a vacant to look at a dead body and it's like it's kind of like the inverse of that where they're like so desensitized by this point that they'll like turn it into like a betting game or whatever where they'll just like oh yeah fuck it let's find out whereas like when the boys did it it's like oh yeah there's some like everlasting trauma that's been imprinted on them from doing this yeah that's a great point thanks for pointing that out they're so yeah. hardened at this point that it's just like, oh, just another casual like mummy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, man, just making some brilliant jokes about braille bills. Did you say that? Sorry. No, no. I mean, I don't know. Some Pelicanos level stuff here, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh well, yeah, and Daniels, he's uh playing the game with the bodies. Wait, for just sorry, real quick. That they, <laughs> John coming off inside. Yeah, that's some pretty. Uh, that's like, and knowing how he shows up as an actor later on in the like David Simon, yeah, you know, canon or whatever you want to call it. How how do you think he took to that? <laughs> I was wondering about that. Like Bunk makes a joke, like, "Oh, you drunk John Goodman off his diet, motherfucker!" Like, I wonder if John Goodman accepted the role in Treme not even having watched the wire, but then like he went through and watched the wire and he saw this joke and he's like, Oh my God, you're going to have to fucking kill my character off at the end of first season. I don't want to be part of this. This is bullshit. He's like, where's Antoine? I'm going to get his ass. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Crossover episodes coming soon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. What, what were you saying about Daniels and his bodies? Oh, we'll just start from the top. Uh, so yeah. And then through with all this, I mean, Daniels is showing his medal as like, a you know, why, as to why he's being fast tracked to commissioner. Yeah. Uh, he's like playing the game kind of, you know, rather well. Cause you know, he's all about the bodies. Right. It's rather interesting. Like we see like the 
chain of command in action pretty much because Lester goes to Daniels to complain. Daniels then goes to Rawls and then Rawls goes to the mayor. (laughs) And it's like, there has to be that much cutting through red tape or, you know, whatever, play that much of a political game in order (laughs) to like do a like simple investigation into like something that should have been done a long time ago. Like they, have to like do like all this uh, paperwork, I imagine, and browbeating and whatnot to like actually get anything done. It's just a brilliant little uh, detail of the system's dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Tell us about the uh, Daniels, Wolf Tickets, Pelicanos connection, <laughs> West Coast, East Coast. Willie, man, got the music stuff on lock. No, it's just uh, there's a really memorable line here where uh, Daniels is talking to Rawls, where Rawls is, uh, you know, casting some doubt on Lester Freeman's theory about the whole vacance. Uh, Daniel says, well, Lester is not one to sell wolf tickets. And uh, George Pelicano said like, oh, that's kind of like a, you know, East Coast uh, Chesapeake bay term or whatever like dc um so from urban dictionary wolf ticket means to speak aggressively to someone without intending to back it up with violence so maybe that's like you know freeman like actually has like some legitimacy to his claim and then uh upon further research uh you know, Wikipedia has been a great resource. <laughs> <laughs> I did, <laughs> I did learn that uh, at one point, the Click, which is a rap group that features a uh, Bay Area uh, superstar E Forty, had and a song. Be legit, yeah, and Sugar T and D Shot. Uh, see, you're telling me I'm the one who has the music unlocked. Look at you. I mean, Wikipedia, bro. No. <laughs> But they they released a song called Wolf Tickets, and it's a pretty catchy tune if you have a chance to listen to it. But it's basically talking about the same thing. Uh, uh, Let me see if I have some of the lyrics here. I mean, like, what's the timestamp on the song, too? Do Like, the album or mixtape it's from? I mean, this is real. This is, like, early The Click, right? Yeah. This is probably before, like, they got real pop. Well, what do I know? Motherfuckers talk hard but never hit the yard. When their car gets snatched, a little batch, we can knuckle up, take it to the blind. Man line living got me digging, trying not to catch no time. Uh when is that? Uh, why why is why is they barking knowing they know, talking that irrelevant fat mouthin' for show? But since they ain't no telling what Jack told Helen. What the hell is they selling? Wolf tickets. So I think that pretty much puts to bed uh, what? Cracks his knuckles. (laughs) Damn, Pelicanos, where you at, man? That pretty much puts to bed uh, what that whole term means. I know I kind of rambled on there for a little while. I don't know how much of it I'm going to keep. Keep going, man. I could, could, uh, I mean, you know, go at it, man. Go at it. At Pelicanos. No, I'm not going at him. I don't think he misappropriated or misunderstood the term.
Yeah, it's funny that Bunk is talking about J-Lo and that itty-bitty Spanish dude. I know. Hey, more uh, Generation Kill crossover material we missed? Yeah. No. <laughs> um. Okay. Back at the actual office of the major crimes unit oh things are really getting done with uh mary mao getting thrown out on his ass everybody's really happy about it and then the other lieutenant comes back in who's kind of a nincompoop and is only like focused on his beach house uh which uh and freeman says he's like one of the fine what does he say he's like one of the finest uh members of the most he's the most effective supervisor in the department there we go yeah yeah <laughs> because he gives no oversight really yeah ironically hey lieutenant beach house baby and then herc <laughs> is uh he's uh, getting uh you know basically investigated by iid and he does a stand i mean first of all how is lester still so comfortable just like <laughs> i know oh, like Yo, Herc's here, cool. Just do this, do this, do that. And I'm like, yeah. wait, does he understand what he's been told to do? Or yeah. and then he's still like, dude, I'm the sergeant. You know, yeah. who are you? <laughs> he's still like doing Being a like jackass. Yeah. So apparently Lester's like, I gotta work with what I got. I yeah. mean, it's kind of interesting. But anyways, Herc kind of I don't is it stand up? I mean, he doesn't like implicate Dozerman and Sidner and something that you know was his fault all along anyways yeah. so i mean dozerman's just like oh you know maybe he's not the same after he got like shot in the face so yeah he seems just kind of like oh yeah i'm gonna do whatever like, yeah it's like, herrick he seems like a stand-up guy I listen to what he tells me yeah like <laughs> look he took the brat for me man like we gotta go take him out drinking now yeah like once he gets like fired yeah herrick definitely falls on the sword for uh Sidner and Dozerman, while the IID guys kind of rip them a new one over this whole camera thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny, like, when uh, Freeman is, like, giving out orders or, like, instructions on what to do, like, oh, go check the wire, like, let's see if we can get the wire tapped up. Go check on, like, any purchase major purchases made that were over $100,000. And Eric looks like he's really happy that Lieutenant Marymount is gone, of course, but... He looks like almost offended at the notion that he's going to be doing something that doesn't involve like beating the shit out of somebody or playing tough guy. It's like, yeah. this ain't why I become a cop for, you know, I'm trying to do things the Western district way. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. What did you think of, uh, Polak Johnny's? <laughs> Oh, yeah. So that is where uh, Colvin meets the deacon to try to save the uh, little satellite program over at Tillman. So since this is a really depressing episode, I thought that we could uh, get into some old school fun, a.k.a. reviews. (laughs) (laughs) So just a little background on Pollock Johnny's, which, I mean, it's the name of this uh, establishment. We're not speaking on it one way or another. Um, it's with one L too. So I don't know if that makes it less offensive, (laughs) but, uh, so this place has been around since I think, yeah, the seventies, this is, uh, from John F. Kafka, who was, or I don't know if he's still around, but he, he's Pollock Johnny and he's like, Oh, you know, uh, 
Well, you want to know what the F in my name is? It's uh, Francis, so that's why I, uh, you know, just said John F, because then I'd be uh, uh, Polak Franny. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this is what he said about uh, opening a new shop, moving away from the block, which is, I think, the popular area with clubs, like nightclubs in East Baltimore. I think strip clubs, too. For the first time in my life, I'm going to have an office with a window. He says, some guy tells me on Lexington Mall it's called window. But I say, if you're a Baltimorean, it's a window. <laughs> it's just funny. <laughs> and then about some guy who like came back to one of the last sausage eating contests, who's Joe Decret. He was 56 and 280 from Highland Town. He's a Highland Town eater. That's what he was just, <laughs> and that's what you wanted to be, he said one day. <laughs> After this, we're just going to move to uh, Baltimore and just become Eat sausage. Yeah, Highland Town eaters. No. Yeah. But uh, here's, some, here's some stuff from uh, their spot in Edgemere, which is way down like Sparrow's Point. So who knows? Maybe these are, these are like. Uh, Stevedore is a, like a blast to the past season two with these reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Charles says, I have eaten Pollock Johnny's hot dogs since 1973 and I love them, but I can't find you guys anymore. So now that I see where you are, I will try to get to you and eat as many as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I see where you are. <laughs> I see you. I will eat as many as I can. <laughs> I see you and I'm going to eat you. <laughs> There's Dale, a local guide. Are they ever open? I've been here a few times during their open hours, quotations, and the door is always locked. Maybe they should leave Edgemere so something else can take over this location that actually offers something. Oh, Shots fired. Uh, but there's mostly positive reviews. Uh, one says it's never, another says it's never open. And Lava Light says it's permanently closed three years ago. Uh, oh no, one Jason just says Omar, and that got five five star review. <laughs> nice. But most of it is like, oh yeah, you know, a true Baltimore classic. Um, so Draconis Maximilian, Drax99, a local guide, said a year ago, Goid food, good people. Glad they are still around after all these years. Be warned, this is a distribution this is a distribution center only, no cooked food. Okay, that's weird. Anyways, it's like a local institution. So. Nice. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, yeah, important stuff they're talking about trying to go up that like political chain of, chain of command yeah. to Odell. Yeah. They eventually meet with delegate Watkins and, uh, yeah, I feel like we pretty much cover all that. Yeah. So but let's talk about school stuff with Carcetti. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what, so I'm sorry, before we get into that, like, what did you think of like, Carcetti and that whole interaction with uh, Rawls where he's like, no, like it's a new day. We're not playing those stats games anymore. Like we've got to do the right thing. But yeah, make sure you do go get those bodies before the year ends though. So it falls on Royce. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's going to be like a new, new, newer day when he, <laughs> the new year begins. It's <laughs> so like starting fresh. Classic political double speak or whatever. Yeah. So, um, Whatever, fake ass carcade. No. Uh, so 54 million was lost under Royce, like we talked about last episode. 
Andy Krawcheck is the president of the school board. No wonder, no wonder they're fucked. Oh my god! Like, well, I, I never realized this. Yeah, I don't know if I realized it too. Like, of course, like the school is going to be in such a mess. Like this, like shady developer that was in bed with Clay Davis and Stringer. Like he was in bed with little criminals, yeah. and he's like yeah. overseeing the future of the children. He's like, "Don't worry, I got this. Like, I'll handle it." Like what? I can't uh, believe it. Let me call Doricon. Slumlords! <laughs> oh, there's this this whole, it's all rife with slumlords. It really is. Yeah, so, you know, they talk about this and that. What are we going to cut? No more raises. Austerity. Typical neolibs. Yeah, what uh, is austerity? Uh, it's just <laughs> like, uh, you know, whatever, slashing government funding. Like, I feel like that's always what you hear about, oh, like... Oh, why are those guys in uh, yellow vests in France beating the shit out of the cops and like, yeah. you know, getting getting stuff done? It's like, oh, austerity or like Greece is rioting, right. but they get like results sometimes, even though whatever global financial crisis, austerity. I don't really know too much all about that. I'm pretty dumb. But um, yeah, yeah so they got to go uh, talk to the governor, which puts Carcetti in, uh, in a bind. Because yeah, they got to go beg his Republican ass. Yeah, so this is all like, uh, yeah, I mean, oh, wow, yeah. So they're, they're reading an article. Tell, tell us about that. I said it's a column by Fisher, but you you caught me on that. What What's that all about? Uh, Well, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when they're in the governor's mansion, or not his man, they're in Annapolis waiting for the governor to talk to him about this issue. Uh, they're reading an article about like what he thinks about, like the short sightedness of the school system and how it's, a uh, you know, selling the kids is future short and says like, Oh, they're my kids too. Um, Norm mentions something about like, Oh, this article is written by, See, I thought it was Fletcher. You said it was Fisher. I don't, I don't, I was just like, but on, on, auto, on, auto. on Wikipedia, they mention like, this is the same guy. It's a character we meet in season five who eventually writes an article about bubs and his like path to redemption and whatnot. So that, that guy, he was tra He was playing to the DC suburbs. Damn, dude. <laughs> But like typical, you know, brilliant wire writing stuff where they just like plant little seeds like, oh, this is what we're going to be talking about next season. Journalism. Like, remember this guy's name? Like kind of do it brilliantly throughout. Like in season two when Bunny shows up and he's like, somebody ought to do something to reform the street life here. Yeah. That's... That's quite interesting. I, I'm looking forward to delving into that a little more because it doesn't make like that guy who wrote about Bubs, like, why would he sell out Baltimore for like playing to the suburbs and the long game? Or is that like what, like, uh, Norm's talking about the mayor, like the governor's doing? Am uh -huh. I mixing up two separate things? Cause I thought like, oh, this is like a jerk columnist who's like out to, you know, blah, 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 set you up for the long game of like state political shit. I don't know, man. <laughs> wiki. <laughs> wacky wiki. Wikilation. <laughs> Wikilation. Oh. Uh, um, yeah, man. But, uh, Carcetti keeps getting the runaround and he's all like 
I got a major uh, situation. I'm the mayor of a major American city. Let's uh, let's yeah. dip, Norm. And then they cross paths with the security guard who's like, very conveniently placed, who is uh, someone familiar in their uh, little political relation. Yeah, it's the real governor at the time. <laughs> yeah. Robert. Ehrlich. Yeah. I thought it was Ehrlich. Like, sounds kind of German. Oh, maybe. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, tell us tell us about him. Cause but he you, was... Uh, yeah, you let me know his legacy. But he, <laughs> was, <laughs> he was the real Republican governor at the time. There was some speculation as to like whether or not like somehow David Simon was like trying to curry favor with him over O'Malley because this is like at the time that O'Malley was trying to uh, unseat him in an election. He was running against him at this time uh, after being mayor of Baltimore. Um, but they did say that they offered the cameo to O'Malley at one point. But O'Malley was so like, he's probably so dismayed at this point about like the image that was be, being betrayed yeah. or being portrayed of uh, Baltimore true. at this point that he's just like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, but yeah, so neat little detail there where on the way out to diss the governor, he runs into the actual governor. Who did, what was one of his legacies yeah. here? So... You know, in his tenure as governor, he did like actually like get some good stuff done. Like the unemployment rate was uh, actually pretty low. He established a Department of Disabilities, which was like the first uh, cabinet level agency of like Department of Disabilities in the nation. He did some things about the he signed the Chesapeake Bay Restoration Act that was meant to fund upgrades of water treatment plants to reduce pollution discharge by a surcharge on business and residential water and septic bills. So there were some good things, but like one of the big things, oh yeah, one of the big things that he was uh, known for that has him cast in a rather negative light is that he vetoed the quote unquote Walmart healthcare bill. So this is, bear with me for a second. I'm just going to read the passage from Wikipedia to try and break this down. So, in January 2006, Ehrlich vetoed the Fair Share Health Care Bill, also known as the Walmart Bill, which re required businesses with more than 10,000 employees in the state to either spend 8% of payroll on employee health care or pay that amount to a state health program for the uninsured. It's commonly nicknamed after Walmart because it was the only company in Maryland of that size that did not already spend the requisite 8%. Slumlords. <laughs> Ehrlich, after consulting with counsel regarding the legal validity of the bill, vetoed the proposed legislation as it would run afoul of federal law. Um, despite this and over the pleas of state representatives whose constituents benefited from Walmart's employment and feared a diminished presence in the state, the Democratic legislators of the Maryland legislature passed the bill over Ehrlich's veto in part leading to the cancellation of the building of a Walmart distribution center in one of Maryland's poorest counties. So quite, <laughs> quite a big stain on his reputation. We don't want to lose Walmart, please. <laughs> like, geez. Yeah. Well, hey, let the free market figure it out, right? Yeah. Uh, district judge. Uh, so... I think 
Let's see. Ehrlich called the bill the first step toward government-run health care by anti-jobs lawmakers. He claimed that it would hurt low- and middle-income consumers and was unfair to Walmart and other businesses. On July 7th, the 2006, the Maryland law was overturned in federal court by U.S. District Judge Frederick Motts, who ruled that the law violated the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, while also noting that it would hurt Walmart by imposing the administrative burden of tracking benefits in Maryland differently than in other states. Walmart me a hero. (laughs) So, oh man, yeah, this is going to hurt Walmart's bottom line so much. We got to think of the corporation like healthcare is just an unnecessary expense. We can't, we can't be thinking about that. (laughs) Wow. Brilliant, man. Amazing. So just a little, little background on that. Like kind of, Seems like a good thing he did there. <laughs> no, it seems like a bad thing. It's funny, like, thinking about, like, how, like, leftist David Simon was considered at the time where he just, like, reached out to this kind of, like, well, I mean, he, in 2016, Ehrlich uh, initially endorsed John Kasich, but then, like, you know, did the crazy thing and endorsed Trump eventually, yeah. like, it's kind of crazy to think like David Simon could even like stomach wanting to like work with this guy, no matter. I mean, the symbolism itself in the scene is pretty like extraordinary and unique. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. A, haha. And you know, cause John Kasich, real, real leftist of a guy, you know, like no, that was a big thing Ehrlich did there. <laughs> Good thing he did there. I mean, he well, is less crazy than like, he's still really bad, but not as yeah insane as trump was we just gotta appeal to like the you know 20 republicans who like could you know support a democrat no (laughs) that's more important than like us (laughs) anyways yeah what do i know that's great thank you for sharing all that i don't know wiki wiki yeah so i mean with all that said Carcetti, poor me. He has to eat all the bowls of shit. And mm. if he takes the money, he'll lose control over schools, you know, to Annapolis and the teachers union. Super powerful and just yeah. like ugh, the worst. Yeah. They will feel slighted. They'll they'll be sold out. And of course, Frank Reed, who, yeah. you know, wasn't happy when this stuff was happening in real life. Like we talked about a few episodes back. Fake Reed. Yeah. Oh shit. That's I don't know, man. I I don't know. We we do our disses here, you know. I'll take on HBO and their geo department, but AME, do I want to go after them? No, I'm just saying that was not the real Frank Reed in the last episode. Oh, but I was talking about like an article that we read about the real Frank Reed. Oh yeah, sorry. Okay. That's funny though, Frank, fake read. <laughs> Sorry. I want to get into more. We'll we'll post the thread. Yeah. Uh um, but yeah, so like in this like budget meeting where they're like kind of uh, you know, letting him know like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like he has this little moment where it's literally like an angel and devil on his shoulder where he's looking to Norm for advice and then he's looking at I don't remember what his name is or like what position he is, but he's budget prez. (laughs) He's just like scowling and like shaking his head, uh, disdainfully at him. Um, but he's like, uh, considering actually taking the governor's money to like infuse it into the school's budget. And Reggie Kathy just gives him a little bit of a, like a, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, man, what a great actor. Mm. He just does that like one little line delivery. It says so much about his humanity. Like he's so like suave and like cool up to this point, but you know, yeah, when it comes like, to when just it, like doesn't matter to me. I'm I'm not voting for you or anyone. Yeah, when it comes to the kids, he's like, yeah, you you got it. This is like the right thing to do, which I thought was really touching and it was great. He's like, don't even focus on the schools earlier. <laughs> like, don't even. <laughs> yeah, I know, it. right? Oh no, but give him fifty four million. <laughs> yeah, like, he did. He did do a turnaround <laughs> like that. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> 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 all right man where uh, are we at it's getting hotter done. and hotter yeah we're almost done omar prop joe mar cheese prop cheese mar joe cheese mar joe yeah i mean pelicanos say what you want about his wolf tick now <laughs> cheese has some great lines you know yeah. method man's a, he's he's a goat man he's a great actor and rapper yeah all right rector <laughs> um yeah, I mean they're they're having to do some schemey type stuff. Omar is uh, doing some A level surveillance, and they don't know. Well, Cheese doesn't know he's about to get robbed. Prop Joe, right? Is all in on it. I mean, Cheese must know, right? Because he was there. He was present for when yeah, Omar. Okay. But he I'm just sorry. like I think Cheese like has like a false bravado where he's like, yeah, like. We're going to get them anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's stupid. Like, but they get right. ambushed. Yeah, pretty uh, diverse cast. Uh, Kimmy comes back to help yeah. Om- Omar out. Kind of like, you know, they uh, had a falling out, obviously, when Tasha got killed yeah. by Dante, I guess. Crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. What else you got to say about that brief storyline? I mean, it's pretty brilliant, pretty great stuff. You know, yes. Kimmy uh, uses the weapon of her, like, what does she have, like a makeup artist or something? Yeah. Like, like put like uh, circles under her eyes to make her look really drug addled. But at the same time, she's like e- e- flaunting her sexuality as a weapon for distraction of this guy <laughs> wow. uh, when they uh, come in and, you know, Get that shipment. Uh, Is that a Greek guy there, by the way? (laughs) That's like, yeah, maybe. I was thinking more like uh, Sergey's people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, so he's like muttering amateurs. So is it, you know, he he feels like he's been had because he's dealing with a bunch of amateurs like cheese, or it must be, or is it Omar? Because that's a pretty elaborate. Uh, yeah well thought out plan and executed at a high level yeah omar is a pro pro more yeah i feel like i uh, i don't know i feel like i should correct myself from last week when i was like wait but marlo knew that prop joe like told omar to rob the poker game before but i don't I just get, I got mired in the minutia. I don't know. I think I got <laughs> lost. in the milieu? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Prop Joe's like, and Cheese are kind of worried about the co-op now and that uh, 
their validity will be uh, in shambles because of this embarrassing uh, show of uh, incompetence, really. Yeah, so how does, like, Walmart tie into all of this? <laughs> Wasn't, like, at one point, uh, or New York was Walmart, right? That's right, yeah. God damn it. Slumlords. Should have never vetoed that healthcare bill. Anyways. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> all right, man. Oh, oh, I want to think what you said right here where you were, like, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. The fight with a shot. Let's... Yeah. Bring ourselves back down. Let's get sad again and talk about Randy. Well, we're going to get even sadder <laughs> talking about Bubbles next. <laughs> That's right. Um, the shot where the kids uh, firebomb Randy's foster mom's house is cut together rather brilliantly with Prop Joe lighting a match to his cigar as he's preparing himself to hear the news about cheese and them getting robbed by Omar and Aldo and Kimmy and all them. Pretty wild stuff. And it was apparently written into the episode that way by the Grim Reaper, George Pelicanos. Yeah. <laughs> Who was hungry too, so had to lock Johnny it. Yeah. Anyways, so Bubs is finally fed up with all this beating he's been getting. So he takes his problem to (laughs) the A-Rabbers. It's like, are they so... The (laughs) A-Rabbers? The A-Rabbers in this episode, you know, it's like a real thing in Baltimore where they like go out on horses and sell goods and wares and stuff in that but they also have like extensive knowledge on how to like get somebody killed quietly like yeah i don't know like the first place that bubbles goes to to find out about how to like get rid of someone or take care of like dirty business he goes to like you know this uh <laughs> secret society of <laughs> yeah. horsemen not even secret society but it's just, like how would he assume that they would know like how to you know, do something so dastardly. Um, <laughs> that's a great analogy. Uh, I think it's pretty much just like, oh, like real bubbles. Larry Johnson was like a a rabber, and oh. he allegedly like admitted to hot shotting someone who was doing something like this to him a long time ago in real life. So I see, but I think executed it without like what we see as you know such a tragic incident yeah he accidentally gets Sherrod killed because uh yeah he uh takes the 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 tampered with drugs that has cyanide in it or whatever yeah i mean how does damn i mean you know bubbles is obviously a drug addict so he's not like oh i gotta hide this under my pillow and make sure it's like in this cabinet you know yeah (laughs) they're living in a shed but Tragic, I mean, Sherrod, uh, you know, uh, great role. I mean, great performance by, damn it, Orange, something Orange. Is it Rashad? Rashad Orange, great. It's, yeah. Yeah. Great performance by Rashad Orange, who, I mean, his sister's Zakia Orange, I think, Mm. or, 
it basically Sister Charlene, who is one of the students in Prez's class. I don't know. I think it got cut from last episode. Hmm. I'll talk to our editors about that. <laughs> our producer. <laughs> nah. But uh, this is like kind of crazy stuff, doing some multiple layers of callbacks at that yeah. uh, Arab stable where, you know, like, calling back to real life bubbles and all his like adventures and crazy stuff he got into to like mentioning junior bunk, mm-hmm. which is like really confusing. Yeah. And we figured out some crazy stuff. Yeah, please. But what was the reference? I can't remember. It's like, Oh, well, you know, they're talking about all different types of killer agents. And they settle on cyanide, but before it's like, oh, you, like arsenic or this or that. And then they mentioned something that Junior Bunk did. Do you remember? Was it like um, a mass hot shots like, like Avon did or something? I don't remember. <laughs> but um, basically, this guy, Junior Bunk, was uh, named Nathaniel Johnson, I think. And he he was a like big-time drug dealer player in Baltimore in the 70s, so... He was pretty brutally assassinated with a a friend, a woman who he was like on a trip or he his body and hers were found burned in Landover, Maryland in Prince George's County. So her name was, I think, Linda Kane. And they don't know how or what, like why they were there. If like, you know, at that point, Junior Bunk had seemed to be getting out of the game. And like, yeah. I sh- like we sh- talked or over that article, he was trying to, you know, make amends for what he saw as like a harmful lifestyle earlier in the seventies and probably the going back to the sixties. Cause he was sent to jail in like early seventies for a very long time, but he got out and yeah. So people maybe like posited or, thought that he was telling or like it's not as simple as just like oh you're a giant drug dealer like with all these guys like big head brother lee and all these like little melvin like adjacent kind of people and like oh i'm done you know i'm just gonna volunteer at a church yeah so fortunately not everyone could be like cutty or something yeah really tragic and then he met there Junior Bunk is also the name of a character on Homicide, the show. Yeah, it's so crazy that, like, I literally found, like, a little clipping about that and then saw your note. So, I mean, come on, man. Like, the synergy. Yeah. So, what? what is that? Like, wh- other than that, uh, what is the background on that? Oh, I don't know. I haven't watched that show yet. Yeah, I know, but it's like... From what I sent you, he's played by Mackay Pfeiffer in an episode in like 98 or something or. Yeah. And it's like Junior Bunk shoots up the, uh, <laughs> let me read it. So, so crazy. Uh, from the TV guide from the sun, uh, under Friday's primetime fallen heroes, Junior Bunk, Mackay Pfeiffer sprays the squad room with gunfire injuring officers. Yeah. I'm like, damn, what did, what did junior bunk do uh, to these guys <laughs> over on, on the side? <laughs> yeah. It's like, this guy was turning his life around. He got basically like, you know, hit like a hit and burned in his car. And it's like, he's shooting up squad rooms and uh, sending out mass like 
Hamas like mass murder uh, hotshots. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. But who who is he? A mass murderer or a guy like volunteering at the Lutheran church? Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe the enigma, man. Yeah. Anyways, crazy stuff. Yeah. Um. Anyway, there's another thing I wanted to talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> is there anything else? Did we cover everything? Did we do a scene by scene analysis? Uh, I think so, man. I think we've been doing pretty good at that. Very diligent of us. Yeah. <laughs> we are the podcast to do that. Anyway, thanks you guys for listening. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. I know sometimes we don't seem that serious about certain topics, but you know, this is hard to do. For a lot of reasons, uh, you know, it's really depressing stuff. If you want to donate to us, anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you slash support. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the gods will not save you. Shoot us an email, the gods will not save you at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions, comments, concerns, you know. Also, shout out to Mostart, the incredible musician who did our intro and outro music and some of our bumpers. Great guy. Check out his catalog and some upcoming performances at Mostart.com. Yeah, and thanks to uh, Andre for hooking it up with the emblem. Really appreciate it. Great stuff. Great. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. You going to look out for me? 